fear of the future, why the world is going to turn out better than we think. Written by Christian Katarski, Mette Karlin McVie and Matthias Goldman, Dominic Kirchdorfer, Matthias Sundin and Sharka Pratt. Narrated by Kieran Sword. Published by the European Liberal Forum. Co-financed by the European Parliament. Fear of the Future Why the World is Going to Turn Out Better Than We Think Executive Summary and Idea Behind the Book People walking in unbearably hot climates in search of the last few jobs that have not yet been taken by robots owned by the super-rich. This is the image of the future you get from listening to current discussions and the media. It seems that the future has never had such a bad reputation as it does right now. Little seems to be left of the excitement and trust we used to hold for the future. Where our grandparents saw flying cars, we now see doomsday scenarios, even in the present age of unprecedented wealth, progress and technology. This contradiction is why we've released this audiobook and publication. The future needs to be defended against real threats like climate change and against pessimism. Throughout history, the future has shown us that it can earn our trust. It has faced very serious threats, but has often surprised us with fantastic technology and social progress. Given that the population is growing and we are becoming better educated, it is reasonable to expect that we will be able to come up with new and better solutions to the problems we face. The world is not getting worse, it is getting more complex. Information is faster, and people have to make sense of it. Mankind has made more progress over the last 100 years than in the first 100,000 of its existence. Yet this also implies change on an unprecedented level. Information and change lead to more complexity, which opens the door to those who sell fear for their own gain, making people insecure. With this book, we want to remind people about how much better the world has become over the past few decades. It is often said that we should learn from our mistakes. This may be true, but it is at least as important to learn from the progress that has already been made. This publication uses a discussion of current problems as its starting point and offers solutions that could contribute to a better future, as well as giving us fewer reasons to be worried about it. This audiobook has five sections. The first is a summary of the chapter Understanding Progress and Inequality Against the Backdrop of Globalization by Christian Katarski from the full version of Fear of the Future. The chapter gives both an overview of the progress the world has seen in recent decades and provides suggestions for an even better form of globalization. The second section is a summary of the chapter A Brighter Future Without Fear of Inequalities in Europe by Dominic Kirchdorfer. The chapter is a review of the different forms of inequalities specifically in Europe. The third section is a summary of the chapter Combating Climate Change the Liberal Way by Mette Karlin McVie and Matthias Goldman. 
The chapter tells us why liberal principles and market economics are not the problem, but rather the solution to the climate issue. The fourth section is a summary of the chapter Liberal Remedies to European Unemployment by Sharka Pratt. It makes suggestions on how unemployment, especially unemployment among young people, can be reduced. The fifth section is a summary of the chapter Why Do We Have a Pessimistic View of the World's Development by Matthias Sundin. It shows how little we actually know about the world's development, how the media and our psychology can increase our ignorance, and why we should stay positive. Chapter 1. Understanding Progress and Inequality Against the Backdrop of Globalization We live longer, healthier, wealthier, freer, more educated and more comfortable lives than ever before. The number of the world's population that lives in extreme poverty has fallen from 1.9 billion in 1990 to about 736 million in 2015, despite the increase in population. It is also important to consider the reduced number of violent deaths over the last couple of decades. There is a marked decline in the number of worldwide battle deaths per 100,000 people, encompassing all sorts of conflict. Furthermore, Access to basic modern life necessities, such as electricity, potable water and internet, has steadily climbed upward, with internet usage skyrocketing. Over the last three decades, we can also observe a constant rise in the number of democracies versus the number of autocracies. The spread of democracy came in several important waves, with the most recent one triggered by the breakdown of communism. More importantly, the rising number of democracies has been followed by a rapid increase in the absolute number of people living in countries with democratic regimes, as well as their bigger share as a percentage of the world's population. For a simple historical comparison, one should note that in the early 1800s, only 1% of the world's population lived in democracies. Nonetheless, we are not protected from man-made disasters. Recently, we have a crisis of confidence in certain established democracies and democratic backsliding in countries such as Turkey and Brazil. Since the early 2000s, there has been a considerable surge in populism across the globe, and it has accelerated again following the global financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. Among a sample of 20 countries with at least one populist party, such parties' voting shares more than doubled between the early 2000s and the mid-2010s. In times of rising signs of populism and economic deglobalization, it is all the more important to remind the general public and policymakers of how globalization and capitalism have shaped our world for the better, bringing about shared prosperity and peace. Chapter 2. A Brighter Future Without Fear of Inequalities in Europe Inequality is a powerful word. It carries so many connotations and hidden meanings that it is one of the most effective buzzwords in any politician's lexicon. There are many forms of inequality and a multitude of perspectives for us to look at. For example, we can see economic inequality between continents, 
nations, industries, genders, education levels, etc. But we can also look at inequality in civil rights, such as the right to same-sex marriage or abortion, or even something as simple as having the right to vote or to be legally represented. When we hear the sentence, inequality is on the rise, we immediately think that it is a bad thing. After all, everyone is born equally before the law. That is the main principle we believe in and base our democratic societies on. But full equality in all societal aspects is not desirable for any of us. Full equality is a fantasy that becomes a nightmare when one dares to follow the dream to its conclusion. That is why liberals choose to put equality first only in matters of the law, or, in other words, when it pertains to your rights as a citizen. In that regard, things have been getting better recently. Over the last decade, we have seen a wave of European countries legalize same-sex marriage. The truth is that fears of rising inequalities are often nothing more than fears of loss of individual freedom and equity. You are not afraid of the rich getting richer. You are afraid of staying poor as the rich get richer. You are not afraid of migrants coming to your country and getting jobs. You are afraid that you won't be able to find one. Fears about inequalities are never more than externalized fears of your own inequity. It is easier to believe that someone else is taking something away from you and that you can punish them for it than to identify and deal with the issues that prevent you from living a free and equitable life. However, some inequalities can be threatening, if not treated carefully and with smart, liberal policies. Others are harmless and even potentially positive. There are challenges ahead, and there always will be, but we can face them head-on as active citizens and demand the political change that we want and need to build a brighter future in Europe. One change that we need to do is to transform our education system from a knowledge-based, short-term learning system to a skills-based, lifelong learning system that will reduce inequality by making it easier for people who adapt to changes in the labour market to find new jobs. Another change we should do is to make access to entrepreneurship easier, for example by removing the unnecessary costs for registering a new company and by creating better representation for the self-employed. This could lead to a decrease of the inequalities between generations, since many young people are interested in becoming self-employed. We should strive for a future with more equity for European citizens, whether it is in access to education, access to the market, civil rights or the political and civic arena. To reach this future, we must ensure that the EU has the strength and will to fight injustices and inequalities at every step. Chapter 3. Combating Climate Change the liberal way. Contrary to what many people may believe, what limited success we have had thus far in combating climate change has been due to liberal and market-based solutions. The fight against climate change is a liberal cornerstone and can be solved without compromising on ideologies. We now see that many authorities within the realm of climate change are challenging the market economy blaming it for failing to seriously curb CO2 emissions. In fact, 
many of the top polluters are state-owned, so are not subject to the normal rules of the market economy, where we have time and again seen that the market will reward efficient solutions. All four of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gases in the world are state-owned. Chinese coal, Saudi Arabian oil, Gazprom and National Iranian oil, followed by the privately-owned ExxonMobil and then by another host of state-owned enterprises. Given that the fight against climate change is, and rightfully so, very high on the political agenda in many Western democracies, we must make a case for the market economy as a climate saver in order to save the model itself. One example of a market-based solution is Sweden's CO2 tax. Sweden was recently named the global champion of economic decoupling by the OECD. Since the early 1970s, the economy has more than doubled in terms of GDP per capita, while emissions have halved. To explain Sweden's success in reducing emissions while improving the economy, it largely boils down to liberal, market-based solutions, with the carbon tax as a prime example. A carbon tax is liberal because, by trading in emissions allowances and climate taxes, actors are given financial incentives to elect on their own to reduce their emissions and to freely decide what measures they will take. To put a tax on carbon emissions is not the only thing we should do. As liberals, we must also address fossil fuel subsidies, viewed as a failed state intervention which stops the market from functioning freely. The IMF estimates that global subsidies for fossil fuels were $5.2 trillion in 2017, or $10 million every minute. By the same estimation, ending subsidies would cut global climate-related emissions by about a quarter and halve the number of early deaths from fossil fuel-related air pollution. We can, must and will rise to the occasion and tackle global warming with market-based solutions, technology, behavioural changes and liberal policies. Chapter 4 Liberal Remedies to European Unemployment Every time there has been a rapid advance in technology, there has been a resurgence of the fear that young people will struggle to find employment. Education reform and flexicurity are the best tools to decrease youth unemployment in Europe. Europe must also invest more in education programmes for young people. Some students are leaving high school and university without any practical skills, and this learning gap is why they are not being hired. If schools are not preparing young people to enter the workforce, then it is logical that the youth unemployment rate will remain high until they have had the time to develop the necessary skills on their own, often through unpaid internships or low-paying, low-skilled jobs. The German system could serve as a model to the rest of Europe. Many pupils are sent for part of their high school career through a vocational school to gain practical experience that they can use to get a job more easily later on. The Danish flexicurity system could prove to be a method that will reduce youth unemployment as well as explain its current high level. This system works on the three main principles that make losing a job or being unemployed in Denmark less intimidating. 
Regulation in Denmark allows for companies to hire and fire workers with greater ease than in the rest of Europe, allowing them flexibility with their personnel. There are also greater unemployment benefits for their citizens, so when they are out of work, they are better taken care of. There are additionally very active labour market policies in place, meaning that while a person is unemployed, they have more access to job training and education opportunities to increase their ability to be hired for another position. If this system, or a similar one, were adopted by the rest of Europe, then the EU's unemployed youth would not face such a degree of risk or have as much fear of being fired. These liberal solutions, if implemented correctly, will ensure that Europe's unemployment crisis will decrease. This will make younger generations less fearful about the future and their employment prospects, since they will be able to enter the workforce with the knowledge and practical experience necessary to thrive in the modern economy. While a fear of the future has begun to creep back into the minds of young people, they should take comfort in the fact that this is not the first time this cycle has come around. Every time there is a major step forward in technology, there is panic amongst young people who see themselves being replaced with automation. After a few years of adjustments, more job opportunities will open up and young people will find new and innovative ways of working with the new technology and expanding societal capabilities. Chapter 5 why do we have a pessimistic view of the world's development? There is a clear correlation between knowledge of facts and optimism. The more you know about the state of the world and its progress, the more positive your view of the future will be. A survey examined people's view of the world's future and their knowledge about the world. Those who had zero correct answers about the state of the world were the greatest pessimists about its future. It makes sense. If you think the world is getting worse, and you are maybe convinced that it has been so for a long time, why would it suddenly get so much better in the next 15 years? And if you can see what great progress has been made over a long period of time, especially in recent decades, then it is reasonable to assume that this can continue. One reason for the pessimism about the world is that the media does not give a true reflection of the world we live in. If you form your worldview solely through news reporting, it would be weird if you did remain optimistic. A large survey of news broadcasts in 130 countries over 40 years showed that reporting became increasingly negative over time. At the same time, poverty in the world has more than halved the Soviet Union has fallen, the Cold War ended, and dozens of countries became democracies, and so on. While this fantastic development has occurred in the world at large and in our everyday lives, media reporting has steadily become more negative. The problem with a negative bias in the media is, however, not only that the reflection of the world becomes unbalanced, the problem is bigger than that, depending on how our brains work. In the old world, it was a good idea to eat all the sugar you came across, for who knew when the next chance would come. The risks were minimal, so our bodies rewarded us when we found sugar and told us to eat everything we could. Dramatic, negative news is like sugar for us, 
We love it. We want more and more all the time. It's not the only thing we want, but our brains think the information about dangers is good for our chance of survival. They have not yet adapted to a world where the dangers are much smaller than just a few hundred years ago. But our brains will have to get used to more progress. When more people get to live in democracies, more of us get to go to school and have access to the internet, and the pace of innovation will only increase. We have access to more brains than ever, and these brains start with more knowledge than before. The number of ideas will increase to more than ever. It is naive to believe that human progress would just stop. The rational opinion is to believe that positive development will continue, but at the same time understand that it does not do so through magic, but thanks to the ideas and hard work of millions of people. There is no need to harbour a fear of the future. The world is definitely going to turn out better than we think, and it's up to us to choose to be a part of that positive development. Fear of the Future – Why the World is Going to Turn Out Better Than We Think Written by Christian Katarski, Mette Karlin McVie and Matthias Goldman, Dominic Kirchdorfer, Matthias Sundin and Sharka Pratt Narrated by Kieran Sword Copyright 2021 – European Liberal Forum Production Copyright 2021 – European Liberal Forum Co-financed by the European Parliament